Welcome to Voices of Experience, the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. I'm your host, technology strategist and futurist, Crystal Washington. Have you seen any bad webinars lately? Be honest, I feel you nodding. Well, this episode, the webinar rundown, will help us ensure we're never counted in those numbers. We're going to discuss everything from pricing strategy to formatting. So let's get started. On this episode of Voices of Experience, we have Audrey Thomas, CSP, to give us the webinar rundown. Now, Audrey has offered webinars for close to 15 years for as many as 4,000 participants. Over the last five years, licensed webinars have made up about 30% of her business revenue. Audrey, thank you so much for joining us on Voices of Experience. Thank you, Crystal, for having me. Let's dig right in. First question right off the bat, are webinars ultimately the same as in-person presentations? We just present them remotely? Well, I I think everybody listening to this would probably agree that they're not and they can't match that in-person experience. However, the material that you present can still be presented in a way that still has the same impact and ROI for the attendees. For example, I, I love interacting with people. I love making that eye contact. I love calling people up on stage and interacting with them in that way. If it's a training environment, it's really fun to walk from table to table to see the different activities that I've got them doing. Um, And as you know, in in a webinar or in a meeting, you can do breakout rooms and that sort of thing. So I think it is different. But when it comes to the delivery of the actual material, I think you can match it pretty closely. Can you just take, so let's say that you have an existing slide deck that you use for in person. Do you just use that exact same one in Zoom? Do you have to adapt anything or can you just, does it slide right on over? I, I always adapt it for a virtual prison, uh, for a virtual audience. Um, I try to, you know, obviously build in activities and that sort of thing. But I also change up in the fact that I add a lot more slides when I'm doing it virtually because I think people looking at a screen, they need to see movement and they need to see their images change. And so I, I obviously add quite a few more slides. I also change up the graphics. I want the graphics to be really engaging to them and also to fit the size of of their screen so I may increase Ooh. it a little bit on for uh, for a virtual presentation or a webinar okay so let's talk about something that there's a little debate about but I, I feel like you can handle this with Audrey let's talk pricing okay Ooh, okay I, I know right so if I charge 20 pineapples for a one-hour in-person speaking event how much should I charge for a one-hour webinar Oh, the question of the century. Okay, so <laughs> when I started doing uh, webinars years ago, I, I, um, I was faced with that um, question, uh, just like everybody else is out there. And there's a lot of, you know, people are on kind of two different camps on this. Mm-hmm. I tend to think that I am still delivering the same material with the same potential ROI. Um, The majority of my speaking, I'm known as Organized Audrey, so the the majority of my speaking has to do with helping people become more productive. So it's a skill, that sort of thing, and it can actually be measured. And so when I tend to think of what I'm going to charge, I I tend to look at what's the ROI for the audience. And obviously, as, as you know, you can have a whole lot more people on a virtual presentation, almost unlimited, versus 
going to a conference or a convention where they depend on the number of people that are registered for the conference. And so um, I do tend to price myself at the same price as what I'm going to be doing in person. Um, however, if they're wanting to record it, which then gets into licensing, then I have to add a fee for that. So what I typically do is I have my standard presentation, my virtual presentation fee, and I add 50% if they want to record it and use it in the future. And I have not received any pushback on that. Wow. So to, to, to circle back and make sure everybody caught that, and I wasn't even expecting this one, if I charge 20 pineapples for that one hour in-person speaking event, you're telling me that I should try to get 30 pineapples if I'm doing a webinar that's being recorded so that they can watch it later because now we're moving into licensing. Correct. But you also have to take a look at, and, and this is part of the selling process, but let's say a, a client is having me do this presentation. This actually just happened about uh, a month or so ago. I did a presentation for about 150 managers and supervisors in the company. And they wanted to record it because uh, they said if it is well received, we're going to make sure that everybody else in the entire company sees it and, and almost require it as training. And so then we're looking at, so originally I'm, I'm creating and I'm delivering for 150 people, but their hope is that they're going to share it with almost 10,000 people. Ooh. So think of the value that you're bringing to that company that they're going to now be able to use that and house that on their own system for all those people to be able to take training at no additional fees in the future once they pay that licensing fee. Oh my, we're going to be pineapple rich, Audrey. Thanks to you. Oh my gosh, all the pineapples. We're getting all of them. You know, I know we're, you know, we're, we're veering off slightly, but I, I, I thought of our dear friend, Bill Cates, CSP, CPAE, he's, he's done a VOE segment on licensing before. And so I'm curious, when you do your licensing, is it a one-time licensing or do they have to pay you annually? How do you set this up for your webinars? Well, I'm, I'm a little different from some speakers um, and some, some people out there when they hear what I'm about to say might cringe, uh, but I do a one-time license mm -hmm. and it's on the honor system. And so I tell them, you know, you are purchasing a one-year license mm -hmm. and at the end of one year, you need to take that off of your internal system where you're housing this, whether it's, you know, an LMS or wherever you're housing it. Mm -hmm. And I will send them an email at that one-year point and let them know that their one-year license is up and ask if they are interested in renewing. Um, but usually it's it's just on the honor system. And I know other speakers who will just automatically send them a renewal invoice to automatically renew that license. Uh, I have not done that myself. And maybe I'm leaving money on the table, uh, but I tend to just you know, do it on the honor system. And while we're talking about this licensing, I, I do want to also interject that when COVID hit, as a way to give back to my customers, I decided to waive the licensing fee if they wanted to use a particular recorded presentation I was doing. Um, and they could, they could, I would waive that fee for 90 days. Okay. And so many people said, oh, that is so kind. Thank you so much. And I can't tell you how many people emailed me at the end of 90 days saying, FYI, we have removed your, your presentation from our library of, of presentations now. And they, they did that unprompted. So that, to me, that just spoke to their appreciation. Yeah. So, and it was, it's been a simple way for me to, to give back at this time. I love that. And not only are you furthering the partnership and it sounds like they're grateful. So they're abiding by it. 
But in the mm-hmm. end, you know, from a business perspective, you're just going to get more pineapples from them in the future. So I love I think it. So. Yeah, I think so. All the pineapples. All right. So what kinds of things should we consider in negotiating webinar contracts that we may not typically think about for in person? You, you kind of talked, you talked us down the road when it came to licensing, but is there anything else we need to consider in negotiating our contracts? Okay. So I have always, always used my client's uh, platform. And usually because I, I do a lot of work in the insurance and financial services industries, and they have really strict firewalls and guidelines. And so whatever they, they had, you know, whether it be Zoom or WebEx or GoToMeetings, I always use their platform. So we outlined that. But the other thing that I required from the very beginning was that they, pro- they provide their own producer for my presentation. So, you know, when, when you go in person, Crystal, you know, you might have all these production people behind the scenes making you look really good. You've got your sound person, your AV person, the camera people, all of that. So what I require from my customer is that they provide those people on the, on their end so that I can only, all I have to do is concentrate on presenting an amazing you know, presentation for them. And when I tell them this, then I, and I tell them, you know, I'm as an organized person, the way my brain works is I want to focus on the material and what I, what you're paying me to deliver. I need you to handle all the rest. And I've always had my clients provide the producing, uh, the producers on their end, handle everything. And that's something we put right into the contract. We also put into the contract um, that confirming that I'm going to be on an ethernet and just kind of confirming some of the technology pieces so they can be at ease. So we list out all that for them. Um, I'm trying to think of what else that we will sometimes put in there. Um, Yeah, I'm just drawing a blank right now. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that was plenty. Well, okay, so here's another question for you, because you've been doing this for over 15 years. For some of us, this is very new. Even though we might be successful speakers, we may not have had prior success in this environment, right? So we're, we're leaning on you, Audrey, to lead us. What is the biggest mistake you're seeing speakers who are new to the webinar world make right now? Well, I think the biggest mistake I'm seeing, and I have personally seen this, as well as I've talked to some speaker bureaus, and they um, they are seeing it as well, it's speakers who are starting to do webinars and they're not ready to do it yet. They haven't practiced enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentor other speakers, and I, I'm constantly preaching to them saying, you know, get a group of you together and practice on each other. You have to practice. You have to understand all the pieces of the technology that could go wrong. And you have to understand how your camera works inside and out. You need to have backups with your audio. And so I think it's not being familiar with all the technology as well as just the presenting. And I wish I could hammer in, you've got to practice looking through that camera lens. You cannot be looking at the monitor. And so you have to, that just takes a lot of practice. And I've I've done a lot of uh, spokesperson work for corporations over the years. So I've got a lot of camera experience behind me. And so that has really helped me to be able to just stare right into that camera lens. But um, that's, you know, I think not being familiar with the technology, I, I think is one of the biggest mistakes I'm seeing. Okay. Okay. So let's talk preparation. What kinds of items should we ensure we take care of pre-webinar? Okay, so we have a checklist. It's a full page, two column checklist of the things that we do prior to the presentation, as well as during the the tech rehearsal. So we require, that's an item that we put in our contract, we require a tech rehearsal three to five days prior to the actual delivery date. And during that um, 
tech rehearsal, we have a checklist that we go through with the client and we let them know ahead of time that we have this checklist, that we're going to be going through this. And they're always impressed and they always say, oh, good, then we can kind of relax on this end, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I'll even go so far as to ask my producer, about how many webinars do you think you have produced? And if they say, oh, this is my first one, I'm kind of nervous, then I will actually ask for a different producer. Oh, wow. So, because I don't, I don't want to be somebody's first webinar that they're producing. And I need somebody who understands um, all the technology. And so I, I'm just that bold about asking because I really depend on them to make me look good okay. and to be able to handle anything that might come up. And so that's one of the things on my checklist. Um, I also talk about um, during this tech rehearsal, we talk about how are we going to start you know, who's doing the introduction? How are we going to do the handoff? How are we going to end the webinar? How, you know, do you want me to be the last one speaking or as the client, do you want to have some final words to the people? Um, are you going to be having a survey at the end? So if you are, then we want to build that into my presentation deck um, to be able to show that survey or a link or a QR code. Some companies are really starting to use the QR codes that go right to a survey monkey. Okay. And so we will feature that QR code along with instructions right on my screen. So we talk about some of those transitions. We talk about whether or not do you want music playing as people are signing in and what kind of music and do you have your favorite playlist, you know, that sort of thing. So we try to accommodate that. We go through all the, um, we do all the checks with the different technology. So uh, I have four layers of, of four different ways of connecting with them with audio. So a couple of different microphones. So we test all of those. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that's during the tech rehearsal. Um, I will also uh, ahead of time, uh, even before the tech rehearsal, I do what I call I feed the client questions. So I always have a Q&A section at the end of my presentations. And in the event the crowd is quiet, or nobody wants to go first to submit a question, I give my producer three to five questions that they can ask me just to kind of break the ice. So they might say, Audrey, we've got a question here regarding X. And so the audience doesn't need to know that nobody, you know, none of them were the ones who actually submitted that. And I have found that that has been very helpful in just keeping things smooth and flowing and getting other people ready to ask those questions for the first time. Okay. So those are some things. The other thing um, we might cover are things like uh, the handouts. I, a lot of my presentations have handouts and I wanna make sure that they not only have those handouts, but that all the participants have been emailed that handout as well as um, providing a link to it. So that link will go in the chat column. So we actually practice that, having them put that in for me. Um, so it's a, it's a true rehearsal. I don't go through the entire presentation. Obviously the tech rehearsal is more for the technology behind it. So it, a tech rehearsal might run anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. However, a couple months ago, I had one that took an entire hour. There were so many complications and problems. And oh. that's why, you know, that's why we do our tech rehearsals and our customers love it. Especially for the one that went an hour long. I'm sure they were so grateful that you insisted on that tech rehearsal because could you imagine if you had not? Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. How hard for the attendees as well. And I will also interject here, Crystal, the last thing on our checklist for the tech rehearsal date is we actually set up 
our aftercare call. And that is something we do uh, three to five days after every presentation. I'm on the phone with the customer. And we set up that appointment right then and there during the tech rehearsal. And I will, I often will include the producer on that call if they want to attend that. But it's the, the aftercare call is simply to say, you know, to make sure that they were happy with what I delivered. Uh, did it meet their expectations? Any immediate feedback that they have for me, things that they've already received back, comments or surveys, that sort of thing. And um, and then just to ask if there's any other, you know, thing that I can help them with. And then that's also during the aftercare call, that's when I ask for a recommendation on my LinkedIn profile. Okay. Okay. Fabulous. You kind of led us into this last question. I know you that you do the aftercare call, but is there anything else we should do after the webinar to generate more business? Well, the first thing I do is I send a thank you note handwritten if I have the client's address, which, you know, if they're, if they're working in their office during COVID, uh, because everybody's working from home, I use an online card service that delivers it to their inbox. And it's been really fun to see the response from people saying, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Thanks for sending this. And so, but uh, thank them in some way. So if they're working in an office, they get a handwritten thank you note. And um, um, then I also ask them uh, at the end of the presentation to save a copy of the chats, uh, all the comments that people put in, and I will review those chats comments before our aftercare call. So if anybody said anything like, oh, she should, you should have Audrey back to talk about email management, or we could really use Audrey's help in figuring out how to use Outlook. Well, then I can see those comments and reference them with the client and then hopefully sell some future business there. Would you like to be able to access Audrey's webinar checklist? I have it and it's really good. If you're an NSA member, go to nsaspeaker.org forward slash VOE podcast. Click on the members only resources link and you're in business. Thank you for tuning in to Voices of Experience, the podcast of the National Speakers Association. Catch us on your favorite podcast app, YouTube, and NSA's social media profiles. Don't forget to share with all of your speaker and aspiring speaker friends. I'll see you next week when we'll discuss Visually Yummy Virtual. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.